If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. I titled this one, The Main Event. Like if you think of Daniel, you always think of Daniel and the lion's den. Why didn't you say in the writing on the wall? All right, this is like the most famous one. This is the big one, and we're here today in Daniel 6. And I want to just recap the transition of power that took place last week in Daniel 5. We went from Babylon being defeated now, and the Medes and Persians have taken over. And I had mentioned that if it seems like God's not working, be patient with his timing. Now remember, Daniel was second in command underneath Nebuchadnezzar. And then we see about two decades of fading where Daniel, it's like he's, he's no longer in that position. And there's got to be frustration. You know, the, the king is not one who fears the Lord and he's, he's having drunken parties. And we, we saw all of that last week uh, with the handwriting, or excuse me, uh, yeah, the handwriting on the wall. And in the midst of that, you see this transfer of power over to King Darius the Mede. And when we finished that up last week, I said, just a note, uh, as far as who is King Darius. And there's debate on this. There's different views. One view is, is that King Darius is a title that is given uh, to the king. And that this king could be Cyrus. And uh, so that's one view. Another one is that the King Darius is a title for Cyrus's general, Gubaru, and he's a co-regent. He is reigning over this territory on behalf of King Cyrus. And another view is, is that we have a king here that his name is Darius. So there are several views that uh, come in there. The identity is not 100% certain, and historical documents uh, seem to kind of lack some things regarding this person King Darius. And so that's why there's debate about who it is we're speaking about. But I will say this, as we hear about the king, one thing you'll see from this king is he has a heart for Daniel. There's something about Daniel that he is drawn to and he appreciates. He trusts Daniel and you'll see that uh, play out. And you know in this story there's this den of lions. And several years ago, I was down in Des Moines at the Blank Park Zoo. And one thing I love about the Blank Park Zoo is their lion's den. And other zoos, I'm telling you, they got you like 100 yards away, you know, and just making sure you're safe. Well, in Des Moines, you can go right up to the glass and you can just be face to face with these creatures of power. And that's a picture that I took. And at that time, that lion right there was chewing on a massive bone. And through the thick glass, you could hear the crunching. And my thought was, oh my goodness, could you imagine if that was your bone? You know, like... <laughs> That's what's going through your head. I mean, it's just a powerful creature. It's my favorite animal. I don't know if there's any other individuals out there that, that just are amazed by the strength of a cat like that. Um, and I just know that in this story, we read this, and, and in Sunday school, you're like, oh, and there's the lion's den. These were fierce and ferocious creatures that would crunch on bones, 
okay? So just get that in your mind as we see the magnitude of what Daniel is about to experience. And before we get in here to Daniel 6, we're going to take some time to pray. And specifically today, the children's ministry asked that we would pray regarding the time that they're going to share the gospel with the kids and that the Lord would bless that today as well. So would you pray with me before we begin? Father, I thank you for this time of worship, and now as we settle our hearts to get into your word, I pray, Lord, for a blessing on this time. Lord, whatever is on our heart, whatever is on our mind that we've brought in, I pray that you'd speak to that. And Lord, we just pray that, that you would move in our hearts at this time. And Lord, we pray right now for our children's ministry as as today's lesson is very specifically pointed in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would bless those who are teaching and, and sharing and serving, and Lord, that your spirit would do a work in their hearts, and that you would be lifted high, not only in the children's ministry, but here in this message today. And so, Lord, guide us by your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Daniel 6 here, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty... Issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So, King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying 
and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel, and he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of 
of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. All right. That's a good story, huh? See God at work here in Daniel's life. And we're going to walk through this here kind of section by section as we have been through this series. And we start here with the first three verses looking at God's divine favor upon Daniel's life. I remember last week, be patient with God's timing. He gets elevated to number three in the kingdom, that being under King Belshazzar, who was a co-regent under King Nabonidus. So Daniel gets elevated, but only like for a few hours because the Babylonian Empire was about to fall. And so then in comes the Medes and the Persians, but yet when that kind of takeover happens, they can evaluate the leadership that's in power. Oh, who's this number three man? Why don't we make him one of our top three? And so Daniel is put in a high position as an administrator to supervise these 120 other officers. And over time, Daniel proves himself to be Daniel. Right, we've, we've established Daniel's character throughout this series. We see that he has a high capacity for leadership. And so King Darius elevates him here in verse 3. It says, he made plans to place him over the entire empire. You see God's favor on Daniel. He goes from top three to top dog, and he has risen through the ranks. Now it's possible that there's some Medes or Persians that, that they were put into some leadership too, and they see this guy that's an outsider, and he's also a, a Jew. He's not even from this Babylon. He, how is he giving us orders? You could see the jealousy beginning to rise, and then you see them attack. Verses 4 through 5, they start searching for some kind of fault in Daniel. I love this. It says they couldn't find anything. You hear this guy who's faithful and responsible. He's completely trustworthy. This is a man of character and integrity without fault. He's above reproach. And so their conclusion is the only way we can go after this guy by his religion. So the attack actually turns spiritual. This man continues to pray to his God, foreign to us. We don't like him. Let's maybe devise a plan here where there's a law that gets set up and he can't pray to his God that he continues to pray to. And so they begin to devise this plan, this evil legislation. You see this in verses 6 through 9. Let's go to the king and we're going to tell him, make this law that for 30 days the people only pray to you, king, your majesty. Kind of playing into his, his pride and guess what? He signs it into law. All this favor that Daniel had with the king, now we, we've got a bit of a conflict here. 
what's Daniel going to do? And you see verses 10 through 11. Daniel just goes about his normal routine. Which you could say is civil disobedience, right? There's been a law that's been passed, but it goes against what the God of all authority would have. And let me just tell you that any kind of government that is set up is something that God uses to bring about law and order in a society. But whenever that government that we are to respect and to obey gets out of the alignment of God, which in this case that's what was happening, we're not going to obey this. We're going to obey God Almighty. And that's what Daniel does, and you see this tension that's rising. It says, Daniel, when he learned of the law, he wasn't like, oh, man, when I'm at lunch, I'm just going to knock something off the table and then pray on my way down and then come up and then go back to eating. Like, he's like, I'm going to pray. That's what I know how to do. My God is real. I've seen him show up. These guys, they can devise a plan all they want. But I know the God in whom I serve. And if you just take a second, keep your your, uh, hand or mark something there with Daniel 6. We're going to go right now to 1 Kings chapter 8. Because I think there was some foundation laid approximately 400 years prior to this. That when the temple of Solomon was being dedicated, Solomon prayed a prayer, and you see Daniel kind of caught in the tension of this prayer that Solomon prayed. And it says that this praying three times a day, this was Daniel's regular practice. It wasn't like, oh, hey, this new law, I'm going to go stick it to the man. He's like, this is what I do. This is what I've been taught. And you see this in 1 Kings 8, starting in verse 44. When Solomon's praying, he says, When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and hold their cause up. Verse 46, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and they repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, and we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land that you gave their fathers toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built in your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you, forgive all the offenses they've committed against you and cause their conquerors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace." May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel, and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. 
For you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, O sovereign Lord, brought our fathers out of Egypt. Is it possible that Daniel went back to his room and he opens it up and he reads that prayer? It says, God, the heat is on. And I'm calling out to you. I'm praying towards the promised land. And I'm asking for help. Your word says that you will respond to the pleas of your people. And guess what? He does that still today. I'll just throw that in there. But while he's doing that, is it possible that this is the heart of his prayer? That he's been praying three times a day already? And did the intensity of this law bring a certain conviction behind that prayer that intensified because of all that was against him. I find that very interesting. Well, in come the tattletales. Right? They, they showed up. They saw him praying to his God. And so they go straight to the king. And they remind him about the law that he had made. Did you not sign a law? They knew the answer to that. They were totally ratting out Daniel. And they're reminding the king that he's sort of locked in by this law. He says it's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. That man Daniel is ignoring you and your law. And he still prays to his God. And the pressure that comes upon King Darius, he's like, what do I do? There's a regret. He's troubled. And he's trying to think of all kinds of ways that he can save Daniel. In the words of Elvis, he's caught in a trap. And he's struggling. And in the evening, these men, they come together to the king and they kind of remind him. You know, you, you have an obligation to this law that you have made. And changing this law, I mean, you could look at it. I mean, the king has the power to do that. But there's this, seems to be this law above that. that I can't change the laws. But even if he did, he would lose a lot of respect as the king and just imagine that in our own country, in the United States. The president signs something into law, and then not too long after, I changed my mind. Let's just take that away. There would be people in the country that would be going, well, what was that all about? And would start to question the leadership. And so the king is torn. I do love Daniel, but we'd have this law, and as a king, I need to follow through with his law. And he's just vexed inside Verse 16, so at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the dens. Now that transitions us then here into the next section. Dan meet den. The king, as this is happening, he says, may your God whom you serve, may he rescue you. And then he goes... And then a stone is brought and placed over the mouth of the den. 
and the king seals this stone, and then he returns to his palace. He spends the night fasting. He refuses the usual entertainment. Couldn't sleep at all. I mean, he is just torn up inside about what might actually be going on to Daniel. I just want to ask you a question here. As I was reading this this week, anybody see a little bit of Easter in Daniel? They roll this stone into place. It's sealed. How many of you know that God has the last word? Let's go to the next section, verses 19 through 23. Very early the next morning, because the king can't sleep, he got up, he hurries out to the lion's den, and when he got there, he calls out in anguish. I mean, you just can sense this tension in his heart. Daniel, paraphrase, are you there? And Daniel answered him, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. Now, I have an imagination. And when I see that, we say, he shut the mouths of lions so that they would not eat me. Did they all just sit there? And they can't even lick their chops. Their mouth is shut. And it's just one angel with a whole den of lions. Was he just like, you know. And they all couldn't open their mouth? Or were they like cuddling up? You know, I mean, we don't know for sure. But what we do see clearly is that an angel, and the Bible says his angel, referring to God's, shut the mouth of lions. Now, what's also interesting with this is in the Old Testament, there's appearances of an angel or the angel. And when you look at the words there, there are times when it's referred to as the angel. That is Christ showing up. Is it possible that this angel was actually Jesus? What we get here in the text is that this was his angel, God's angel, showed up, shut the mouth of lions. I can't be dogmatic about whether or not that was Jesus or an angel, but I just think regardless, God showed up for Daniel. And the king was overjoyed, ordered that Daniel be lifted up from the den. And similar to the fiery furnace, they didn't even smell a smoke, it says, not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. You know, lions have several weapons, not just their teeth, right? Even though they couldn't eat Daniel, maybe they would try to bounce him around like a ball of yarn, you know? Not even a scratch. God was there in the den with Daniel. So now what? We read a verse here that's quite heavy, verse 24 about sin's consequences. It says then, I mean, the king's probably frustrated, right? And you see that he's been found innocent, and when you falsely accuse someone, it's like the punishment is going to be taken out on you now. Whatever you had called on their head is now going to be carried out on you. And so these men, they're arrested 
and he had them thrown into the lion's den. And then you see their families included. And then it says, the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor. These men who had tried to turn Daniel into the king are now turned into meow mix. And I know that might sound light, but so let's get serious. I can't imagine the horror of a bystander watching that go down. When you talk about bringing in the wives and the children, and let's think about this today, our decisions, good or bad, have consequences. Would you agree with that? And those decisions affect the people around you, especially your family. Let that be a lesson to us today. God is serious about sin and sin's consequences. And then the king makes a better law. Verse 25, he sends this message out to people of every race and nation and language. Peace and prosperity to you. And when I read that, I'm like, you just threw wives and children in. Peace and prosperity to all of you. The intensity here. Verse 26. I love this verse. This might be my favorite verse in chapter 6. He says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. You know, that's the foundation of our faith is a fear in a holy, almighty God. You know, some of the past things that kings have responded with when God showed up, like when uh, there was the moment where Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, they all began to give offerings to Daniel. And I said, that was probably awkward for Daniel. Like, hey, don't do that. I mean, it was kind of a misplaced response. And then in Daniel 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saved from the fiery furnace, the, the law or the decree that the king made was that if anybody speaks badly or disrespects the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'll have you torn limb from limb. But now you see this king saying, we all should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. What an appropriate law. This is the living God. He'll endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. And the verse for the week This is a God who rescues and a God who saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, as you've just seen and witnessed with the den. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. He's declaring how big God is. And then this all closes here in verse 28. You see... This favor continue, continue on beyond just that day or just that moment. It says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, 
the Persian. And I know I said it's debatable, like is, is Darius a title for Cyrus? And then you read a verse like that, and you're like, well, clearly those are two different guys. But then where it gets lost a little bit in the translation is, is, is not he prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. It would be uh, of Darius, that is Cyrus the Persian. That's if it's Cyrus. It's interesting also, if that is King Cyrus, probably within a year or so, Cyrus makes a decree. This favor continues on. This decree is to the Jewish people. You may go back home. You think about where we started in Daniel 1. They've been taken into captivity. God, where are you? You see God working out their story, which eventually leads to them being set free. Daniel has been in a bit of a metaphorical lion's den for years. He's been in exile. And yet in the midst of that, he's seen God faithful over the years. As we get ready to wrap up this message, there's just a few points of of application here that I want to just bring out, things that the Lord put on my heart. The first one is this. The enemy, the enemy of our soul, will attack you spiritually. That's a guarantee. The Bible makes that very clear. Let your response be that of Daniel. This is a man of character, integrity, a man of conviction. And how did he respond it says, when he learned of the law, he went home and he prayed. And that's how we can respond when we are attacked spiritually. Pray, pray, pray. Notice the emphasis of three times there. As Daniel would pray three times a day. We be people of prayer. That's how we respond. And I think, too, when, when the heat is on or the the moments of pressure come, that is when the character and the integrity start to shine even brighter. And so don't give in to the ways the enemy would like to just boil up your flesh. I mean, Daniel, he could have lashed out, you know. But Daniel, just this man of conviction, just goes through with what he knows is right. Point number two. Through the dens of life, fix your eyes on Jesus. I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure, was that Christ in the den? Was that just an angel? Regardless, keep your focus on the one who is with you in the dens of life. You know, the enemy, he he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I love this photo that you see here. While I was on sabbatical, I watched a a kind of a documentary on Charles Stanley. And that photo was one that meant a lot to him. And who do you keep your eyes on as you go through the things in life? We fix our eyes 
on Jesus. It's possible there's people listening right now that you find yourselves in a bit of a spiritual den. And you need to be rescued. Please hear me. Jesus is the rescuer. And that leads me to the final point. God still rescues and saves and performs miraculous signs and wonders. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what den of life we might find ourselves in right now as we're walking through this, look to God, the one who rescues and saves, the one who can do all things. And so I ask the question, is there anyone in need of God to do some rescuing? Anyone in need of God to do some saving? Is there anyone in need of God to do something miraculous? If that's you, I want to encourage you to go to the one who can do all things. Call out to him. Call out to him. Lord, I need you. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you for this account of Daniel. And here we are, years later, being able to walk through this. Be encouraged by how you were there with Daniel. And probably one of the most difficult situations in life. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they had each other when they were thrown in. Daniel was all by himself, so it seemed. But Lord, you were with him. And you rescued and you saved him. Lord, it's possible with this many people listening that there's things that are on hearts right now where there's need for rescue, there's need for saving, there's need for you to show up and do something miraculous. And we just come to you right now and and we say, God, help us. We call on the God of Daniel. Come and help us. And if there's anyone that feels like they're in a spiritual den. And you know you need Jesus. Hear me clearly. Jesus came to rescue you and save you from your sin. Would you let him rescue you today? If you desire that, I invite you to pray with me right now in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I'm in need of rescue. Please save me from my sin. I'm asking for your forgiveness for the sin in my life that separates me from you. Please cleanse me and make me a new creation in Christ. Today I receive you, Jesus, by grace, through faith.
thank you for saving me. Lord, let us be encouraged by all that we've read here regarding Daniel and the ways in which you were at work in his life. You desire to be at work in ours. Let us look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.